Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. You know, when you go on a trip to the beach... There's a lot of because I said so's. Because you don't have time to explain all the detail. You know, there's things that are going on, and I don't need to explain all of the reasons why we are doing X, Y, and Z. And maybe you're not mature enough to understand all the reasons why. So, because I said so. And when you say that, you realize you're becoming your father, and then it's weird to have that be your intro when you're preaching and your father's here. So it's kind of odd. But what about God? Does God ever say, because I said so? Does God ever say, you don't need to know all the detail. I'm working something out, and it's because I said so, and that's enough. He kind of does. And we don't like that a lot, right? Does it show hands? We were all for it when we were talking to the kids. Now we're on the other side of it, not so much. But we want to know all the detail. We want to know what's going on. We want to understand it all, right? Remember that we're studying this series in Zechariah, this whole idea of the next chapter of your life. God has saved you. He's brought you from death to life. Now you're beginning the next stages of your life with him. And, and what, is that, what does that stage look like? What, what happened? What's going to happen? What does he promise you? We're going to talk about a lot about promises and victories this morning. So let's do something weird. Let's start at the end of the sermon. So let's jump all the way to the end of chapter 10. You can flip there for me. Verse 12 of chapter 10 reads as follows. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. When you see declares the Lord there, think, because I said so. All of the things that are going to happen in these, in these chapters that we're about to cover, these three chapters are all because of that last verse. Declares the Lord. Because God said so, they will happen. That's it. That's, that's the end of it. Because God said so. So our big idea this morning is that the next chapter's victories are based on the previous chapter's promises. So what's the previous chapter in your life? It's your life before God, before you came to know who Jesus Christ is. He paid for your sins. He brought you from death to life. That's your previous chapter. Your next chapter is what you're in right now. What are the promises that he made to you in that previous chapter that you can bank on, and there's going to be victories in the chapter you're in right now because of what He has promised, because God said so. Give you a hint, it's pretty cool. There's some good stuff coming. So if you guys can flip back to chapter 8, we're going to read that now. Chapter 8 reads, And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, 
I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women shall again sit in the streets in Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in faithfulness and in righteousness. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were in the present day of the fountain of the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid that the temple might be built. Verse 10, for before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I sent every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. For there shall be a sowing of peace. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. For thus says the Lord of hosts, As I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts. So again have I proposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem in the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in the gates judgments that are true and make peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another, and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be in the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore love truth and peace. Verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. That's a lot of Lord of hosts, right? What does the Lord of hosts mean? Do we remember? the God of angel armies. Every time that phrase is in there, that's what he's saying. The God of angel armies declares this. The God of angel armies says this. So the, the first section is, is all of chapter 8. It's, it's God's promises to Israel. Now we won't read all of the rest of the, of the chapters do for, for time purposes, but I'll be faithful to them, I promise. So remember, we're talking about God's promises to his people Israel. Are we Israel? 
No, we're not Israel, right? God has specific promises for Israel, but can we learn something about God because of his promises to Israel? Absolutely we can. And we can learn about how, what, what God has in store for us by seeing how he has dealt with his people. Remember where we're at in our time. This is the captivity, okay? They sinned against God. They made idols against God. And he took them into Babylon. They've come back from Babylon. They're rebuilding the temple. That's what's happening in this book. So we're going to go through this section here. We're going to talk about the promises that God has made. And then we're going to apply them to our own lives. How does that actually fit to someone who lives in Ocala in 2016 in the middle of a crazy political race and all the other stuff that's going on? Why do we care about what God promised a bunch of dead people 2,000 years ago? Because it's kind of important, I promise. We'll get there. So let's jump right in. Here are the promises from chapter 8. The first one is that I will return to my people and dwell with them. Remember, they were in captivity. Okay? Things were not going well. They were off, living in Babylon, away from God, didn't have a temple, didn't have a city. They still don't have a city, and they still don't have a temple, but they're getting there. It's coming around. God promises that he'll dwell with them, and he will be with his people. He also promises that he'll restore Jerusalem to a city of truth while gathering his people back home. Look at the image that he plays with here. So cool. He talks about there will be old men and old women in the streets. And they'll be thinking about the city. They'll be living together in a city of truth. God's intention for Jerusalem from the very beginning was something a city that people could look at and say, God is there. It's a city of truth. I can see what God is doing in the world through his people there. And what he's saying is, I will restore them. I will bring them together. It will be as it was supposed to be from the beginning. He doesn't stop there. He says, I will treat them differently now because things are different. Their lives will resume. Notice in our reading, he said, the vines will bear fruit again. Seventy years no one farmed this land. The land flowing of milk and honey had no milk, no honey. He's going to restore it. It's going to be as it was supposed to be from the beginning. He's going to restore them in their own lives. It's not the last promise. I will turn them from an illustration of my wrath to one of my blessing. You see that in verses 13 through 15. He says, God will use your life for his glory. We know that, right? So you are a bonehead and you're not listening to me and you're doing everything about yourself, not about me. So now I'm going to put you off into captivity. And you're going to be an illustration to the world of what my wrath looks like. You were supposed to be an illustration of what I have called my people to be. You weren't. So now I've put you in timeout. I put you in timeout for 70 years. A couple of generations. Now I'm bringing you back and I will change you from being an illustration of my wrath to an illustration of my mercy and my grace. And finally, I will take the morning time of fast and I'll turn them into feasts. Do you see that? In verses 16 through 23, what he says is, remember what they were doing, right? They would have these fasting times where they would you know, get all upset and worrisome and, oh, it was so bad. We were over in Babylon and you know, we didn't do what God told us to do. And we'd have these fasts and we'd think about how terrible things were and we're focusing on all the negative. And what he's saying is, I'm going to flip the script on that and I'm going to take all those negative times that you drew together to think about all the bad things and I'm going to turn them into feasts. I'm going to turn them into a party because I've redeemed you now. I brought you back. 
I brought you out, and now you're back where you're supposed to be, and your terrible times will now be a positive. Now, those are all direct promises to Jewish people that are not promises to us. But what does that actually mean for us? So what, what are the so what's? The first one is that the Holy Spirit is the victory we have from His promise to dwell with us, even to the end of the age. At the end of the worship gathering this morning, we will read a passage. We do it every single Sunday. It's the end of Matthew. And we'll talk about how the Holy Spirit will dwell with us, and God will be with us till the end of the age. And He calls us to make disciples in our going. We read it every single week. He promised us something very similar. He was dwelling with them in Jerusalem. God dwells with us with the Holy Spirit. So our victory is we get the Holy Spirit. The promise was that we would get the Holy Spirit, and we did. Can you bank on God's promises? Absolutely you can. And that's in one that we can see right here very clearly. So remember, previous chapter of our life, God said, I will promise you that you will receive the Holy Spirit. The victory will come in following the Holy Spirit. And for those of us in this room that have accepted Christ, you have that. That's awesome. That's not it, though. Also goes on, and we're a new creation. Once we are saved by Christ, that's the promise, right? He saved us. The victory is being capable of bearing fruit for his glory. Remember, this fruit in this city that was nothing and it was a farmland of desolation. Remember last week, he said, you've taken the land of, of, the land of milk and honey and you've turned it into desolation. So what he's saying here is that he will take us in our deadness, in our spiritual deadness, our sinfulness. He comes, he introduces himself to us. We follow him, and in following Jesus, we go from being dead and worthless to alive and capable of bringing glory to God. How amazing is that? That's a promise of God right there. You went from dead and worthless to alive and capable of bringing him glory. Everyone in this room has that promise. We are that. And finally, he has promised to take the sorrowful things in our lives and use them for victory in his glory. The fast, the things that we look back in our lives and we think of how terrible they were and how I can't believe I made those choices and look at what happened and all the terrible junk in our lives. He takes it and he turns it into something that we can look back upon and see, look what God did there. That's your life. Look back right now. What went on in your life that was so terrible at the time, you couldn't lift up your head past your circumstances to see what God was doing. And now we can look back and say, God, thank you for bringing me through that. Because you've taken the sorrowful and now you've turned it into a party. And that's not saying that we get excited about our boneheadedness. What it's saying is we get excited about what God used it for. That's a, that's a key difference. How are, how are you doing with these promises? Look at them. The Holy Spirit, are you following the Holy Spirit? Are you actually thinking, God, what do you want me to do today? Do you realize that you're a new creation? Do you realize that you're capable of bringing glory to God this morning? And you weren't before. And are you looking back at the times of sorrowfulness and thinking about what God has done in your life? 
far too often we read the Bible as this list of to-dos and not-dos and don'ts and all this other stuff, and we don't think God is good. He is so good here. It's amazing. The next section I, I call God's promise to the neighbors because he doesn't just promise to Israel. He talks about the neighbors, the people that are around Israel, and he says he's going to deal with them as well. Now, I'm going to skip the first eight verses, but I promise I'll be faithful to him. What he says is there's kingdoms around Israel that have wealth. They have money. And what, they, what they're doing is they're finding their security and their wealth and their money. And he's saying, I will make them bankrupt. I will destroy them. I will take what they have and I'll spill it out into the sea. That's the promise that he makes to them. And then he jumps into some Jesus stuff. Let's check this out. Verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of the covenant with you, I set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore you to double. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword. The Lord will save his people, is the next section. Listen to these words. Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. And the Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth into the winds of the whirlwinds of the south. The Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down the sling stones. And they shall drink in wars if drunk with wine and be full like a bowl, drenched like the corners of the altar. On that day, the Lord their God will save them as the flocks of his people, for they, like the jewels of a crown, shall shine on his land. For how great is his goodness, and how great is his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish, and the new wine with the young women. So he has promises here, not only for the neighbors, but he also has some messianic prophecy stuff right there. How cool is that? Let's jump in. So what are the promises that he makes to them? The first one is that he will destroy the clever kingdoms that find security in their wealth. He'll cast their wealth into the sea. Those are the verses that we didn't read. Others will see his work and be fearful of what he might do. Surrounding kingdoms will see what God is doing to this nation with the big 401k. When he destroyed it, they'll see it and they'll take notice. What remains behind will be left for him. He uses the word remnant throughout this entire book. They'll be the remnant for him. He will send a king that will be a peacemaker to the nations. He will come mounted on a donkey. He will rule over everything. This was written a long time before Jesus rode that donkey. It's really exciting. He will offer freedom to prisoners based on a blood covenant. The blood covenant will turn the prisoners into weapons he will use like a sword. It's incredible imagery. You have a blood covenant that he's talking about with Christ. 
you have the king coming in on a donkey. These are some pretty powerful promises. Now, let's, let's, let's unpack these. What, what, is the, what, are the, what are the so what's, right? Obviously, it's very easy to go, okay, Jesus, big deal. That means a lot to us. But what about the other stuff? God promises to deal justly with those that would make finances and security their God. The victory is that he wins. That's the victory. This is not a fun promise. This is not a fun promise. This is to the person who decides, I will not follow God. I do not believe that Jesus is real. I will not surrender my life to him. I have a big house. I have a nice retirement. I'm good. This is a hard promise. And the promise is that he will deal justly with them. Justice. You choose not to accept God. You choose not to make him king of your life. He is whether you admit it or not. But if you choose to say no, he will deal justly with you. But there's grace there too. And the grace is that he promises that others will see how he has dealt with the unrepentant people. And the victory is that he'll use their sin and stubbornness to bring others to, them, to himself. Remember who was left. All these other kingdoms, all these other nations around, he, he, he bankrupted them. And then the others went, whoa, 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 what's happening here? And what was left would be his what? Remnant. He would draw them to himself. What does that look like in our lives? Have you had the experience with that person who you see how God deals with them and it changes the way you deal with God? You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it where, where God deals with someone. It could be someone who's given their life to Christ and maybe they're caught up in their own sin and then God uses something to just get their attention and you say, I'm not going to do that. I watched you burn your hand on the stove. I don't want to touch it. And then he continues into the Jesus prophecy. And he promised the king to come riding in on a donkey. You see the promise. The victory is that he did just that. The king's work is not finished. He will be returning to rule his kingdom. He needed to save it first. So he came in and saved it. Previous chapter. Now it's saved. Next chapter. We're in the next chapter. It doesn't stop there, though. This is really cool. Promised, his promised blood covenant came, and it not only saved people then, but it continues to do it now. And he says that he uses them as a weapon, as a, as a sword. Is it weird to say that we could be used like God as a sword in our community to pry into the what heart? The hardened heart. Remember, we talked about that last week. God could use us to pry into the heart of someone else. We're not talking about weapon in the sense of to destroy. We're talking about getting someone's attention. God will use you in your workplace. He'll use you in your retirement community to, to say that thing that you're not smart enough to say. I've been there a lot. There's things that have come out of my mouth that I am not that intelligent. And it was cool to see how God just put it in at right the, just the right moment and you get someone's attention and it's not like they hit their knees right then and, you know, oh God. But it starts the brain moving. It starts the drawing of the heart. God uses us for that. And he promises that he will use us. 
we don't live in a time when people worship their 401ks at all, right? That's not a problem now. Now. Dad, you're in car sales. That's not an issue with people. Now. You don't have the... I've had people, you know, kind of, uh, in my job, kind of gently nudge their phone over just to show me how much money they have in their bank account and act like they're not showing me. Like, oh, 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 my, my bank account's still open. We, seriously, we don't live in a world like that where that's an issue. <laughs> we don't live in a world where security is something that we value more than the God who saved us. No, not at all. God will remove the barriers in your life that are keeping you from him. And speaking from personal experience, it hurts a lot worse when he does the removing than when you do. When he's the one who pulls it out of your hands, your fingers might get broke. When we release it to him and surrender it to him, it's a significantly more pleasurable experience. I promise you. You can trust his promises because they've never failed. He talked about a king riding in on a donkey hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus rode in on a donkey into Jerusalem. It's amazing. All of them have come true. We can trust them. Last section, chapter 10. This is the God-authored victory. So he's dealt with Israel. He's transitioned and talked to the neighboring countries. Now he's going to talk more specifically about Judah, one of the tribes of Israel. Verse 1 reads, Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain, from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers of rain to everyone, the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense, and the diviners see lies. They tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore the people wander like sheep. They are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. My anger is hot against the shepherds. I will punish the leaders, for the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them like his majestic steed in battle. From him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like a mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. They shall put to shame the riders on horses. I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them, for I and the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad, and their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. And I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. And they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scattered them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. And with their children they shall live in return. I will bring them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria, and I will bring them to the land of Gilead and Lebanon till there is no more room for them. He shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea, and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. The pride of Assyria shall be laid low, and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. I will make them strong in the Lord, and they shall walk in my name." 
declares the Lord because God said so. Final batch of promises. First thing is that he says man-made gods offer falsity and pain. People follow them because they lack proper leadership. He calls out the shepherds. He calls out those that should have been leading his people, that should have been pointing his people towards him. And he says that they fell away. And they went for the teraphim, some of your translations will have, the man-made gods. He will be very angry toward the poor leadership and deal with them harshly. He will draw from the remnant those that he can use in the foundation of his work. They will do amazing things because he will give them a fresh start. He says in verses 3 through 6, from them will come the cornerstone, from them will come a tent peg. He will draw from them and they will be a part of the foundation because I have compassion on them. Not because of them, but because of what I have done. They will know his voice and they'll flock to it. Verses 8 through 11. And then finally, this will happen because I said so. All of it is true because God said that it will happen. So again, these are promises specifically to the tribe of Judah. We're not the tribe of Judah. We're the tribe of Ocala. And the tribe of Ocala don't like to camp. So let's see what God's got for us. At least I don't like to camp. God promises that religion leads people away from him. The victory is knowing the true God. Remember, previous chapter of your life, he promised you that he would give you himself, that he was true, that he was righteous. And the victory is knowing him. If you look through every religion, I've studied the majority of the popular religions of the, of the world very, very briefly, very shallowly. I don't pretend to have a lot of knowledge in it, but I've done a little bit of study in almost all of them. And the thing you find at some level or another is that the individual is responsible for their salvation. They're responsible for their enlightenment. They're, in, they're responsible for their ascension. They're responsible for what takes them to the next step at some level. Christianity is the only one that says God kind of did it all. God kind of offered you a gift. You did nothing for it. You weren't special. He said you were. I've done nothing that says that God should redeem me. He redeemed me, and that makes me special. It's a difference. It's important to understand that distinction. And what he says is that all the false religions and all the things, the, the, the diviners and all the things that you, you look to, all of the horoscopes, all the stuff that we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, that we make our religion and our gods and our system all pull us towards our own responsibility, and it's about me and what I can do to take that next step, to get that next level, to be just a little more important. And what he says is it's not that at all. The victory is knowing him. That's the victory. He, he goes on to say that he promises a fresh start for those willing to follow his son Jesus. The victory is being made into something that was accepted by God, not rejected. Did you see it? He says, I will offer them a, a fresh start. I rejected them. He rejected Israel. He rejected and sent them into captivity. He got their attention. He called them back. And he said, I offer them a fresh start as if I never rejected them. God offered you a fresh start in all of your sin and all of your death. He did it for all of us. He offered it to us. He did all the work. 
So the promise is the fresh start. That's previous chapter. The victory is knowing him and having that fresh start and being capable of bringing glory to him. And finally, God promises that we may walk in strength by Jesus' name, not because of our own ability, but because he says so. The victory is he said so. It's already been declared. All of the stuff that will happen, it will happen because he said so. Because I said so. I don't know if I said it enough yet, but because I said so. That's pretty cool. We can bank on his promises. We can follow him because he said so. So closing it up, obedience and action. How does this work itself out in the body? In this body right here this week, what, what, is, what is God calling us to do? First, it's pray for the body this week. Pray that we can cling to his promised victories, both individually and corporately. Think through this week. Pray through this week the victories that God, is, God has given us and the promises that he has. It's a big one right here. Identify a victory in your life that Jesus showed himself strong in. Share that with someone in the body. Reach out to someone this week in this body and say, this is what God has done in, the, in my past. This was a way that he had victory over a sin in my life. This is the way he called me from this to that. Pray with one another about that. Ask that same person what you can be praying for and encouraging them in this week. The, the, this week. Not like, not like three weeks from now. Like this week. Text, email, call. Here's what God's doing. Share that with one another. And then how does this play itself out in our community? By first clicking to the right, not to the left. Walk this week is one that has promised victories on, of Jesus on your side. That means confident in what the Holy Spirit is directing you to do. Let's not act like we're not called by God to do God's stuff. Let's actually walk like we're confident in God's called us. Look for opportunities to share a victory Jesus had in your life with someone in your community. This is a hard one because this implies something. This implies that you've been sharing enough of your life to get to that stage. Because maybe there's no one in your life right now that you're comfortable sharing something that God's done in your past. If that's the case, that's the, that's the issue. Share your life with people. Interact with others. Talk to them. Build relationships. And then use those opportunities to share with them what God has done. And finally, remember that Jesus offers a fresh start to those that would accept it. You're the swords he uses to pierce the hearts of those in need. That's us. That's what we get to be. It's pretty cool. Finally, remember the big idea. Next chapter's victories are based on the previous chapter's promises. So all of this... All these points, all this stuff, the whole point is that we can bank on his promises. In a world where both political parties seem so stupid they can't figure out how to get out of their own way. In a world where everything seems busted. In a world where it truly does feel like our country's going down. That's kind of been the predominant theme for the last hundred years. But right now for us, it really feels like that. It, is, it feels bad. In a world where we can't get on the phone with people. In a world where we're struggling with connection. In a world where everything seems so hard. We have his grace. We have his mercy. We have his love. 
And all of that junk, we can bank on his promises because they've never failed. Not a single one. God has never dropped his kid on her head. It's never happened. I took Sophie out to the beach this week. It was yesterday. She was trying to stay on the boogie board, and she was kind of whining a lot. And I thought, okay, I know how to get her to stop whining. I'll just chunk her in the ocean. That was not being a good father because it backfired. I'm, I'm successfully uh, like, you know, pointing out the fact that she can't trust me. I'm learning that. Like, and she got upset. And I was like, okay, uh, I'm sorry. She, can't, she doesn't feel as if she can trust because of the things that I did. We can trust him because of the things he has done. And because of who he is, he's God. We can trust him. Focus on that. Because he said so. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.